Welcome right into the studio, Hidden Nation. You got Josh Carey right here, your hidden entrepreneur. You're tuned in to 710 WOR, the voice of New York. Anytime you want us, day or night, all you got to do is download that free iHeartRadio app and you can scroll any podcast, any show you want, any music. It's there for you with the catalog completely and inevitably updating itself. So check it out. Don't be left behind. Hidden Nation, we got such a, I don't know, smart episode for you. I'm joined by Nick Burns, who is the Senior Technical Support Supervisor over at KLA Corporation, a U.S. man now based in Singapore, coming to us via the U.S. Navy, all kinds of way uh, in the semiconductor space. Wait until you hear all about this. Welcome to the program, Nick. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. I love your resume uh, because it just it just shows me personally how much schooling I missed out on. Uh, and I mean that in the best possible way about myself. You were, for example, you were in the U.S. Navy for six years, stationed in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, as a nuclear reactor operator. What in the world do those three things mean you do? So all of the U.S. submarines are nuclear powered. So on each submarine, there's a whole nuclear reactor and nuclear power plant. And then some of the people on the submarine, they go to a lot of schooling to learn how to operate the reactor because it's an underwater nuclear power plant. So it's quite complex. So my job was to control the actual reactor itself. So that's why I was the reactor operator. And then other people would do like the electrical system or the steam system and more of the engine room components. But my group was for the reactor, the electronics for it, the control systems for it, and to control the reactor when it's in operation underway. And now you are, you're Singapore based, you're living there, you're working with this semiconductor company and your goal, your mission really is to help uh, U.S. citizens migrate over to Singapore? Why is that so important for you? So one of the reasons why I joined the Navy and a lot of people is they wanted to travel and see the world. Um, and I guess I want to tell people you don't need to do that just in the Navy. So if you're a civilian or military, you can get out and get a high travel job. When I first got out, I did a travel job based in San Francisco and I traveled over 50% of the time. And then I kind of wanted to move overseas, move to Singapore, and just want to provide an example and a template for how to do that and to move overseas. And your first introduction to Singapore was via the U.S. Navy going there in submarine from the U.S.? Yeah, so my first time in Asia, my first time in Singapore, we took a submarine from Hawaii to Singapore. And then I fell in love with the city. And it was my dream to maybe one day move get out of the Navy. And then it was like such a crazy long shot idea probably would never happen. And that was my dream to one day move here. And then about two years after I got out, then I made that a reality. How long is that submarine ride? Um, the longest is like two months. So you don't just go straight from Hawaii to Singapore, you go do your missions 
and then you go to actually Singapore was not the first one. We went to Okinawa and Korea, and then we went to Singapore also. So weeks to months to get there, but it's not a direct route. You go see other places, do other things first. Now I've been in those, uh, you know, Florida submarine rides. That's not what you okay. do, right? What is it? What is it really like being in but, that kind of submarine? There's no windows. It's much bigger than those tourist ones, but there's no windows. So you don't see the sun for two months at a time. Plus you have no fresh air. Um, it's quite cramped, but it's big enough for 150 people to live for months at a time. Um, wow. Yeah. Wow. So you got to Singapore and did you instantly know, what did you think? What did you feel? What were you drawn to? What could we expect as an American who will uh, relocate, work abroad, experience this? Um, so I was here first on the Navy and I knew it was very hot, first of all, which is good. I like that. Um, they told us before, so before you pull into port anywhere, they tell you a warning, don't do this. Here's the local laws and customs. And it told us drugs have a mandatory death sentence for drugs and don't, you know, so obviously don't bring any of that. You shouldn't have any anyway, but definitely don't bring any. If you have chewing gum, that's illegal. You can have a like $10,000 fine or something for that. So my first impression was like a very strict society. But when I came here, everyone was quite happy. Um, I, the people I met had like really interesting jobs here, the expats. So that was my first impression from the Navy. And then after I got out, I was traveling based in San Francisco and I came to Singapore a lot actually for work. And then similar impression, it was very nice weather, very nice food. The work life here is quite stressful, but compared to San Francisco and Silicon Valley, it's quite laid back actually. Um, it's very safe. The taxes are very low. People here go to like a Starbucks. You can leave your laptop or your cell phone just out when you go to the toilet and come back. Whereas San Francisco, like you can get it like stolen from your hems easily in a Starbucks. But here you can just leave everything out. You always feel safe. The public transportation is very clean it's on time. It's very pervasive. Yeah, those are my first impressions after uh, coming to Singapore. And you've been here four years now? Yep, going on my fifth year soon. Yeah, so since pre-COVID. And you see no no return. You'll you'll stay for a while. No. This is yeah, definitely. I'm marrying a Singaporean in four weeks. My fiance is Singaporean, so hope, hoping to stay here forever. Well, congrats on that. Sounds exciting. Thanks. What about the um, a couple of things? The language. What is an American considering this leave to work abroad in Singapore? What do they have to know? Is 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 English okay? So yeah, that's what makes Singapore so great as compared to like Hong Kong or Shanghai is everyone, most everyone speaks English. There's four primary languages. English is like the main one. Then there's Mandarin and then Malay and Tamil. But based, unless you go to like some Chinese restaurant, everyone speaks English for the most part. Yeah. But so, then, yeah, go ahead. Then I would encourage people to, I've studied Chinese uh, a bit here. I take some classes, so it's definitely not necessary. But for my work, um, some of the people are in China and Taiwan and it's just good to practice. And here it's great because you can practice if you, like I took Spanish in school and university for eight years, but then you don't practice it, so you forget it. But here Chinese, you can practice it with like most people. So you can practice it every day. And you speak how many languages now? Uh, just English and Chinese and some Spanish because I studied it for eight years in school. And my Chinese is a bit basic, but 
there's some um, exams that are given by the Beijing Ministry of Education. And I took the first two exams and passed those. So slowly working my way up in Chinese. So you're in the semiconductor space and this conversation you hope is best geared towards those in the same industry to see a, uh, a different or more attractive position in Singapore. Yep. And even if they're comparing like what they can get for a U.S. salary versus the Singapore one, um, generally the Singapore one is lower, but the tax rate here, it makes it um, quite like a close battle usually. So yeah, don't be off put if the salary is like a little bit lower, do your math on the taxes here because um, it's a yeah, very good tax rate here compared to the U.S. And once you were there to really find uh, employment was was easy enough? How's the um, work? So, yeah, I think it was easier back in the day, but it's still definitely possible now. You can look on like job boards or job postings, whatever company you think you want to work for. And maybe look at the openings that have been stagnant for a while, like three, four, five months. Because of course, and I hired someone in Singapore and we try to hire like a Singaporean or a permanent resident first. But if there's no good candidates, then we can go hire from someone abroad. So the person I ended up hiring was not Singaporean actually. So it is difficult, but if you want it, you can just keep interviewing, look for job postings and uh, definitely apply. I want to go through a little checklist that you can help the listener make sure is in order to assure that this is or is not the right move. But what comes to mind of something that you could help us avoid? Something you did, fell into, that happened, that it's like, ah, you're going to want to make sure this this goes as planned. Um, I think the rent prices here... So I was coming from San Francisco, which in 2019, the rent was really crazy. So I think for some people, they're shocked at the cost of living, things like the groceries, the rent. So yeah, avoid, I guess, moving too soon before you do the math on your salary. There's some disgruntled people that move here and they complain the rent is too high or the groceries are too expensive. So yeah, to avoid that, just make sure, or if you have kids, it's very expensive to send them to international school, but some companies will pay for this for your kids. So yeah, definitely uh, post in like, there's expat groups, post in there saying, this is my like, expected salary. We have zero kids or two kids and we wanna mm -hmm. send them to school. Um, do you think this is enough? And there's people that will definitely help you. And what is a short list that the listener could cross cross reference with figuring out if this is the right move. Is it anything more than just a willingness and a desire? Yeah, I think wanting to grow up maybe in a safer place than the U.S., maybe if you have kids and want them to grow up somewhere that's multicultural, speaks English, is safe. Um, but yeah, you give up some things when you leave the U.S., so you just check like your family and friends. Maybe you can't see them as much, maybe once a year or twice a year or so check at like how much leave you're going to get, check out how much the flight costs, if that's something that's in your budget to return back to the US enough. And what about social life? When you're not working, you don't always work, right? You do no, get out and no. play? Yeah, so the social life, um, a lot of people have an expat bubble, which you hang out with like most of the other expats. 
So you will probably meet other expats, but you meet local people at your work too. Um, there's a lot of things to do here. There's groups and clubs to join, whatever you're interested in, sports or chess or anything else, or going to bars to meet people. So yeah, I would encourage people to just, you will probably meet other expats at different parties, then just go meet local people. Don't just hang around. There's like expat locations, expat neighborhoods, then yeah, go out and diversify your friend group. Are we, we're talking about, um, be, you are an ambassador for US citizens to, to leave and work abroad. We're talking about in Singapore. Um, in the semiconductor space, is that as specific as this conversation is? Uh, that's my specialty, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. But and I could uh, certainly like general questions about expatriating, but that's my um, my specialty, what I know the most, yeah, in the semiconductor field. Did you see this coming growing up, or was this a complete surprise to you, or did you always long for this kind of adventure? Uh, I don't think I ever saw this growing up. I grew up in Connecticut and I assumed, I guess when I was growing up, I assumed I would live in Connecticut or move maybe like Pennsylvania or something. But then I joined the Navy and then moved to Hawaii and went abroad to Japan and Korea and Singapore. Then once I was traveling and saw that, then I took the high travel job for my same company, but based in San Francisco. And I travel all the time. Like, hey, can you get on the next flight to Germany to go fix this or can you go to Israel for a month to help this? Then after I was living that lifestyle and I kind of fell in love with it, not being in the US, then I liked being outside the US more than being inside the US. So that's when I decided to uh, try and push for a move. You're, from what I've read, your brain works in ways that I can't even wrap my brain around. Does that mean as like a child and a high school student in college, you were just always at the top of your class, I'm assuming? Uh, my GPA was normally at the, towards the top of the class. Yeah. So you, academics was something that you, you enjoyed? Yeah, I enjoyed. My fiance makes fun of me in my TikTok. I watch like math videos sometimes and calculus and graphs. Yeah, so quite nerdy, I think. Yeah. But I do enjoy it, yeah. You watch calculus videos. I get it. Um, I, I, I like math and puzzles on a much lower level, but I, I understand the, uh, the appreciation of it. Why'd you go into the, uh, the Navy? Why that route? Why was that uh, attractive? So my, dad, my dad did the same exact thing, basically. He was a nuclear uh, person on a submarine and uh, just wanted to follow that footsteps, basically. Because I saw from him that you can leverage that, do your minimum time, and then... Um, civilian companies like to headhunt from <clears throat> submariners and nuclear trained people. So then um, I kind of knew in the back of my head, uh, this is like a good training for me. So that was why I wanted to join. And you went, uh, you, what was the time frame like from when you first arrived via the submarine to Singapore to you living there? Uh, around two years or so. So after I got back from the Singapore deployment where we stopped in Singapore, I had maybe like six months left. Then I got out of the Navy. I worked at Tesla for six months or so. Then I quit and then joined my current company as an engineer based in San Francisco. And then about one year after that, then I moved to Singapore. 
And now tell us about your current position. What do you do? Uh, so primarily I manage a team of six engineers and a bigger team of around 30 or so engineers. Um, there's other managers and uh, we have a product which is basically like an expensive microscope. Um, essentially they use to build semiconductor chips and to process the wafers. And we have um, other engineers in the field which operate the tools every day. And then when they have problems, they solve them. They solve most of them. When they have a really big problem, the tool is down and they can't solve it, then they escalate to my team. And then my team will try and solve it or we involve other groups to help us solve it. And frequently we have to go fly and fix. So we'll go fly and actually put our hands on the tool, touch this knob, turn this wrench, replace this part to fix the tool. I know we're talking about the semiconductor space. Um, give us a little um, outline and avatar of who is, is best suited for this move? What kind of person? What are they doing? Um, so you have to be a good learner. You have to, the systems are more complex than nuclear reactors, I can say confidently, being like trained on both. Um, so you have to be able to learn complex things. You have to be able to have attention to detail. It sounds very simple um, to like, you know, follow a procedure, like, but in extreme detail, not skip anything, um, have good troubleshooting skills. And because when the complex systems break, it's not as simple as I have this error message. I need to press this button, replace this. It's not that simple. You have very extremely hard problems to solve. So you have to have a good troubleshooting technique, attention to detail. Um, and you have to like hard problems. Why I quit Tesla was because the problems were so easy. We were commissioning uh, robotic systems and a bunch of the problems, either the vendor would just go fix or we would have to just press reset and it would fix itself. So I was quite bored with that. So you also have to like um, very hard problems too. So you've, you've had to challenge yourself. I'm sure you were in a a fine job over at Tesla, right? They were, it, yeah. it was a fine position with I'm sure a fine salary, but it just wasn't working um, for your, for your what? Yeah, definitely not fulfilling enough, too boring. I was not being challenged. So I thought I would be happy. Maybe I didn't know that at the time, but, and I, I tried to quit. That's where I lasted six months. I thought like, yeah, maybe Tesla is like a good name brand company. Great to have on a resume. Maybe I can last it out like a year or two, but no, I could not, you know, it was too boring, not stimulating enough. And how does that sit on your resume now? Uh, I mean, I think it's good to be ex-Tesla. I think it looks pretty good, yeah. It gets attention, right? People people get it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Good what about brand. your, so you're, you're obviously skilled in, in all you do. What about your emotions? Uh, what about my emotions? Exactly. How do they play in to your day-to-day -day and all you do? Uh, so we deal in like very high stress environment when the tools are down, the customer's losing like so much money per hour and you have to, yeah. And the problems are very hard and you might get very frustrated. So you have to be resilient and um, work as a team, rely on yourself. Uh, rely on a team, know when to ask for help. You have to be honest when things aren't going well, you have to tell your team, like, listen guys, I, I'm so lost now, can you help me? 
or here's what I did today. Um, I really need some assistance, especially um, as a global group, because we have we cover like most of the time zones. So you can say I'm working, um, I'm working so late, I'm done. I'll type up my report and I'll send an email to the Europe team or the US team like, hey guys, um, I accomplished this today. I really need like a strong plan. Can you uh, brainstorm while I'm sleeping basically and then come up with um, a good solid plan to start tomorrow with. So knowing like having, uh, being humble enough to ask for help also helps. So you're in touch with your emotions. You feel like you've, you, you're good in that regard. Um, would have to ask my fiance. I think, but I would think, yes. Yeah, I would. I hope so. Yeah. You hope so. How do you, how do you unwind? How do you turn off? Do you, I know you said calculus videos on TikTok. anything else? So those are just rare. They uh, send them to me on my algorithm, I guess. I like to play chess also to de-stress. Um, so I play like blitz chess online. I like to read. Um, yeah, those are the things I do after work. Do you have any sort of spiritual or religious practice? I do not. I used to meditate pretty um, religiously, I guess, when I lived in San Francisco for a couple of years, every day meditating. Uh, I did um, the sensory deprivation tanks, meditate in those, but on top of that, nothing, yeah, not spiritual. But you did meditate. What was the outcome you were going for or the reason you were doing it? Um, just to see how it affected my daily mood. It's a good way to start the day. So yeah, I just wanted to see what it was like. I did it for a long time. I think it was good, a good practice to do, to calm things down, to unwind after work. Um, or get like geared up ready for the day. And the person, the person listening, give us a sense of your day-to-day -day schedule. Are you on your local time or do you have to account for the state's time zones? Um, so we have to account for the states for some meetings. So I'll wake up, my first meeting is at 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. usually. So I'll wake up before then, make some coffee. Then I typically have meetings a lot of meetings during the day. So from seven or 8 a.m. until 10 or 11, with maybe some break in between full of meetings, then go to lunch. Then in the afternoon do more uh, non-meeting work stuff. So doing reports or studying something or researching something or more meetings also for brainstorming. And then I'll finish work at like five or 6 p.m. usually. Um, but then frequently in the evening I have to check in or um, find out something or update my boss when he's waking up in California. Um, but yeah, that's my schedule, my rough schedule now, day to day. You're an ambassador for this trek. Why? Why is that important to you? Um, because I think a lot of Americans should leave. I know there's so many Americans that they're born in a place and then they die in like a 50 mile radius of where they were born. They never travel. Is that never the leave. stat? So I hope, yeah, this, just to not be a statistic and go leave your hometown, leave your home state, leave your home country. Yeah, don't, don't regret not doing it because you can just do it for a year or two and then you can always go back if you don't like it too. You can. It is something that you're suggesting. Come on out for one to two years, see what it's like. And it sounds like the underlying thing you you're going for with this is to experience life. That's what I heard. Yeah. 
yeah, life is different here. It's better. There's some culture shocks, but yeah, just to have that experience to go back to. And it's, but, but it's important for you because what I heard is to say, Hey, don't get stuck, you know, be more, do more experience more, right. Don't, don't live and die 50 miles from where you were born and raised. Yeah, exactly. You found, I mean, your resume suggests this, but you've really taken life and just, just, just gone. So that's, that's fulfilling and, and therefore important for you to tell others about, right? Because you have a, yeah. a vast experience of travel and what's out there. That's what I'm getting at. Is that yeah. I try I mean? my best to be a good example for others. Yeah. Yeah. So you, your experience is just, is just rich. And that was, has all been a positive impact that you want to impart on others. Yeah, definitely. And how does the person listening, I know you, what are the next steps, right? They could, what, they can get in touch with you. They're somewhere specific that they can do more research. You were alluding to um, job openings and job boards. Point us in that direction. Where should somebody go right now? Uh, I would suggest they watch some maybe YouTube videos on life in Singapore. And if that's something they want to do, then they can um, message me on my LinkedIn to help for job searches or um, yeah, tips and tricks on what, where to look for, what to look for, what salary is good, what salary is bad, um, other things to look at. Yeah, check first if it's something you might want to do, and then um, I can maybe help. The job market is not as good as it was like a quarter or two ago, but there's still plenty of job openings to go around. I love hearing that. Get in touch with Nick Burns via LinkedIn. We'll link to that in and around this episode. And you'll be the point of contact, right? You'll walk them through what they need to know. Yes. Excellent. Nick Burns, ambassador to the U.S. citizen looking to leave and work abroad in Singapore. I love it. I love everything you're up to. Thank you so much, Nick, for sharing your insight. All right. Thank you for having me. And thank you, Hidden Nation, for tuning in today. You know the deal. If any episode has uh, fulfilled It's this one, get out there, no more hiding, right? As the hidden entrepreneur, I spent decades hiding behind fear. Nick is here in support as well to say, there's a world out there. As we mentioned, don't live and die as a statistic, 50 miles from where you were born and raised. Wow, think about it. We're gonna do this again before too long. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until we meet again, take care, be well.